Okay, here I go. Okay. Spiel, coming in lukewarm. Here it is. <laughs> now. <laughs> okay. Welcome to Church Talk. I'm your host, Amanda Hall, here with Reverend Laurel Gray. This is the monthly episode of this podcast where we talk about the month's sermons, world events, and how we make sense of the complexities of life. If you'd like to submit a question or discussion topic, please email it to podcasts at uucsw.org. We'll keep you anonymous unless you say we can include your name. In this episode, we'll be discussing the sermons, Our Living Tradition, Faith That Guides Us, and Taking Up Space. And if you want to hear those sermons in their entirety, you can find them in the same podcast feed where you found this episode. But we'll also recap them here before we discuss them. Oh, yeah. Good idea that we started doing that. It is, isn't it? (laughs) What a great choice. Cold open. Hi, Laurel. Hi. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Actually, my, so we're recording this January 25th. um, And I, for our our listeners, I was telling Laurel before we started recording that I have always planned to have my year officially start on February 1st. Um, and so this month is entirely liminal space and it's kind of a bonus space between the space between this month brought to you by whoever wrote that song this Matthews space by, by David Matthews sponsor of this podcast. <laughs> but I guess that is his real name. That sounds so I, formal. I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen his birth certificate, but <laughs> I sometimes with our music director, we joke about like, what could we play on the organ where people wouldn't notice what it was? (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Currently, the organ is uh, disconnected because it was blowing sparks. Uh, So we won't be playing any (laughs) currently. We're not currently playing any like hit tracks from the mid 2000s (laughs) on our organ. That's a shame. We could. It's to I mean, our detriment collectively. I think it collectively. would be fun. We're working on it. Honestly, like, if I was to pick a church that would have, like, Dave Matthews covers on, like, on the organ? <laughs> on a historic, like, like century-old yes. organ, it would probably be a UU church. So, I mean, obviously. It's <laughs> like, yeah. This does not conflict with my conception of, like, our church. I know. What church is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It can be fun. It can uh-huh. be cheeky. These uh-huh. are all within the realm. It so can what also are we be... talking about? <laughs> we well, just really started cold here. <laughs> we did. Well, I was going to say, in addition to being fun and cheeky, it can also be a little bit heavy. Um, yeah. This month, so... this month had some had some intense content. But I feel like we've been saying that for the last like three or four I mean this is like recorded of this life is complicated we try to tell honest truths about real life at church so rarely is it like light and fluffy right yeah this is real it's true yeah um I just want to throw try not to be a downer yeah because that's not helpful and we're not Calvinists (laughs) what it what would a Calvinist do some of you are damned. Oh. Well, that's <laughs> And no one gets right. to know. Right? Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, no, super fun. <laughs> yes. Just like some, yeah. Hell, spontaneous hellfire in some places for some people, but no one gets to know when or why. Ooh, Or spicy. do anything about it. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, keeps us on our toes, I suppose. Yeah, we rejected that. That's where the universalist came from. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that is like, okay, this is a beautiful transition. Um, entrance ramp. It is. Yes. Thank you for this entrance <laughs> ramp. Um, the first sermon we're talking about is our living tradition, which is yeah. basically deal. rolling out potential changes to like 
the wording of the central principles in the like EUA bylaws that are like the guiding yep. principles of U- Unitarian Universalism. Yeah. So this is like and a I huge think I'll proposed say, like, change. I think wording makes it seem like a less dramatic shift than it is. Yeah. Because in the past, you're right that like in the past, the, the previous changes have been strictly like wording changes mm-hmm. um, where like the, you know, wording about, earth-based traditions was added there was um the mo the thing that has changed the most is gender language um Mm -hmm. so like going from men to women and men to people right um so that shift has been made but this is really like sort of a wholesale like instead of trying to edit the document that we have if we just try to explain who we are again yeah. Like, well, what does that result in? Um, instead of doing this, like, let's just, let's try and, like, wordsmith these existing things down to mean what we meant. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a really fascinating thing. Um, so there are still seven principles, um, but in a, in a core ethic of love as the center. So there's this diagram now, um, which I, as, like, a very visual person find pleasing um that there are these there's love in the center and then there's a circle with six other values that are all rooted in that that core ethic of love um so yeah go back and listen to that um what was it january i don't remember the date the first the first podcast of this year um our living tradition has all of those details it's like the eighth or something. Um, yeah, that's where I don't want to misquote it, but I think it's the eighth. Um, <laughs> you know, that date <laughs> that we went to church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Um, and I think it, it can be shocking to people because we often think about traditions as being static um, and sort of being about the past um, and about creeds and creeds don't change. Right. And um, that's one of the big differences between um, like liberal religion and conservative religion is not, it's not a political statement. It's about, are we trying to conserve the past um, or are we trying to grow and change into the future? Mm -hmm. Um, That even sounds slightly judgy, but um, I don't intend it to have a judgment. We are a living tradition um, and a liberal tradition. Um, so shifting and growing and changing is part of the deal. Um, but it's not about, it's not changing like we've lost our souls, right? It's changing like, so our message is a little crusty maybe mm-hmm. and a little hard to remember. So like, what do you mean? Like, how would you describe this? And so in the service that first Sunday, before I like unveiled <laughs> the proposal, um, we did a, a group brainstorm with the whole congregation about like, what are, if you had to think about single words that you would use to describe the core of what Unitarian Universalism is, what would you say? And the very first word that someone said was love, which I was like, mm-hmm. good job. Also, maybe someone actually clicked on the link. <laughs> right. Yeah, was this a, did you have a plant in the audience, Laurel? There, I think there was a plant. I didn't do it on purpose, <laughs> but I think someone already had read them all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, but doing that, I think like the, all of the new seven um, proposed core principles like they were all on the list right we we already in describing ourselves already came up with the words that that are part of this proposal um so hopefully doing that exercise sort of lowered people's like anxiety levels about change um also no one knew what the principles between one and seven were so (laughs) including myself right like I also can't name all of them, and I'm a minister, and I've been a UU for literally my entire life. Mm-hmm, um, same. So if I don't even know them, like, we should probably get a little bit more clear. So Yes, that's true. Um, you definitely were, like, 
asking people to distinguish within themselves in evaluating their initial reactions, like distinguishing between like shock that it's happening and like right. what the actual shock content at the is. Thing. Yeah. Right. Um, right. One second. <laughs> it's rainy it's here. Season. It's rainy. It's I had tea. Here. I took a nice. nap. Listen, that's where I'm I am. I'm knitting. I'm knitting a purple sweater while wearing a purple sweater. Because <laughs> apparently <laughs> I'm like on a kick. I've moved from like, li- I think this is lilac to lavender. <laughs> it's like just really nuanced shades of, of light purple over here. So, Listen, yeah. we're, we're branching out. We're embracing change. <laughs> Peak cozy. Slightly <laughs> different shade of purple. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're evolving mm-hmm. yep. to keep it on I theme. I know. Um, I recently crocheted a blue sweater with cloud appliques on it. Oh, you already did it? I It's nice. done. It's been done. Wow. I finished it last week. <laughs> Fancy. I'm impressed. I like busted that thing out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's cute and cozy and fun. Have, has it turned into a, a yarn craft podcast? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would be okay with that. <laughs> there is a knitting group on Monday nights at church if anybody wants to join. Cool. <laughs> I can't go to fun that because I live. <laughs> I do live in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, so I don't I go probably... to meetings on Mondays, so I don't go either. Okay. Well, it's good that it exists, though. We just won't happen yeah. to be there. It's a good time. Yeah. Anyways. Um, I. So how did my... I'm curious how you felt. Well, I'm still disting- like I'm still <laughs> yeah. answering the call that you sent to distinguish between shock mm-hmm. that is happening and content issues. Yeah, because it's hard. That is really hard, right? And yeah, that's why this because... is a long-winded process. And the thing is, like, yes, change is important. Yes, change is essential. Yes, staying the same is a risk, as is changing. But also, like, there's so much that's constantly changing that, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of what people, I think, I guess I'm projecting this, I, what I depend on church to be is, like, a steady through line amidst the like choppy ever changing seeds of life yep so like changes that feel this fundamental are like Mm -hmm. the first reaction is like that they're threatening totally Um, yeah of course so i'm still in that first reaction several months later to be honest yeah um well that's why this process is like a four or five year process yeah so and maybe I, it's likely that I won't stay in that place forever, but that's where I am right now. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, yeah. <laughs> this is a very funny reversal for me because what I'm finding about it, like my main objection to it is it's not theological enough. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, a this is such a uh, like standard lifelong you use versus non-lifelong you use. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which one this am I? This is like a recur- You're a lifer. I sure am. Yeah. Lifers, I also am a lifer, tend to want to be more specific and more clear about mm-hmm. what we mean. Um, and people who have come from other traditions often end up being UUs because they came from traditions that were too limiting to them. And so they're really attached to the freedom and openness of being a UU. And so those things can be really at odds, mm-hmm. even though like what we're talking about is actually probably the same territory, but this, the like way that we've gotten to the place of being together, um, means that we can have really different needs. Like even what you yeah. were saying about church is like supposed to be steady and like kind of static to be reassuring and grounding. Right. Um, and even wanting it to be more theological is about wanting it to be more steady and more sturdy. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas there are also people who, you know, are like allergic to the word theology. Well, so was I until we started doing this podcast. Okay, fair. <laughs> That's also a standard <laughs> UU thing. <laughs> like... But that is what I mean is, like, specificity, yeah. I guess, is what yeah. that's, like, you've 
correctly identified my beef with this because like (laughs) the things that are like that we require specificity around like yeah I just like so I know that leaving room for interpretation with these principles is important but like I don't want there to be enough room for interpretation that people don't think we stand for anything like this is the basic like i mean this yeah, is already yeah. the problem that euism has but like yeah. the thing so do you do you think this version makes that problem worse uh, or does it show that there is a problem and it isn't a fully corrective yeah i don't think it makes it worse i think it's yeah. a lot of work and change and stress for it to be not much better <laughs> so I think it is I think it is better. Yeah. I just don't think it's enough yeah. better. And yeah. I think there is a couple ways in which it's worse because yeah. the most important theological like elements of Euism for me, there's two of them. Uh-huh. And yeah. they're intertwined obviously. It's that uh-huh. no one is damned. So like yep. universalism yeah and also like the inherent worth and dignity of every person like the that word yeah i know (laughs) but it's not the same thing it's not necessarily the same thing because like well it's it comes from the same origin point they're related they're obviously very closely related concepts but like When I say, what does it mean that no one's damned? Someone's not going to say, oh, that means they have inherent worth and dignity. They're going to say, oh, we don't think right, anyone right, right. goes to hell. Yeah, right? right, right, right. Yes, yes. So, yeah, like, that inherent does a lot of work theologically mm-hmm. because it's saying, like, mm-hmm. we are starting from the basic, like, again, this is back to my, like, axioms thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, those feel solid and specific and yeah. like the word love feels squishy um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. as yeah. a, as like a, what we believe in statement. Yep. Um, so like that inherent worth and dignity has incredibly specific, like repercussions and consequences. It means right. like you don't have to earn your worth with like good deeds quote unquote it means like you like can't take away anyone's humanity like you can't do anything to threaten your humanity uh like and of course that leads to no one being damned but like that statement is really from no one big yes yeah and like that's our first. I, well, I guess what I'm saying is I I'm attached to the first and seventh principles, which everyone is. Yeah. Right. Um, and the seventh principle I think is adequately represented in this change, which is like interdependence. Yeah. But I don't think the first principle is adequately highlighted in the core principles of love, justice, generosity, evolution, pluralism, equity, and interdependence. Like, mm-hmm. I think you can infer it from those if yeah. you read the other stuff underneath it. Yeah. But I I think that needs to be, like, front and center, and it's not. I w- so I wouldn't be surprised because there will be an amendment process at General Assembly in June. A lot of people are first and seventh principle you use. Mm-hmm. And so I would not be surprised if this becomes a thing that's, like, we need those words back. Yeah. Like, Let's be clear that that's part of what we mean by love, right? Yeah. Um, because the love ethic is coming from universalism, where it's like these are all sort of branches of the same tree. Um, but yeah, it's like any change to the language around that could be really hard. Um, and still, like, we're still universalists, right? Like, no matter how the words that we try to use to describe that, that thing is still the same thing. Um, so yeah, I'm feeling stubborn. I know it's hard. I know. (laughs) I was really concerned that there wouldn't be seven principles, that they would choose Uh a different number. (laughs) I was like, there must be seven. Make up an extra one if you need to. Uh huh. (laughs) Yeah, they do do a good job. It's funny the things that like become 
really important. Um, so, yeah. Another thing, <laughs> may I continue airing grievances? Of course. Um, <laughs> does it does it say anywhere that we're queer positive? And like, not I, just like. I was just trying to pull it up again. Accepting of queerness, but like, we affirm that queerness is like holy and that kind of thing. Um. I don't know that that would be. I think that pr- these recommended principles are starting, trying to start at a deeper level that would yeah. then implicate that. Um, well, and I understand I why, but it's the difference between saying like, you know, love your neighbor, right, or whatever, and like, yeah. So no, I being think clear also, is good. <laughs> like that. Yeah, so I think that specificness, also, I think, matters. Not right. that we have that now. I think now. it's important to remember that this this is only Article Two, right? Like, mm-hmm. yes, it's very core and fundamental and significant, and like, it's also part of a legacy of, um, like where our history came from and, um. It's part of a lineage of the way that we've talked about our core values and principles. And it's held within the network of, um, like, when we have General Assembly, there are um, actions of immediate witness, which are these things that get voted on, where basically the entire denomination together says that these, like, justice issues in this moment are critical and important to us, and we want to collectively vote to make a statement about supporting them um and so that is also a thing like there's a whole body of those um right and so i mean even if you look at the seven principles as they currently are it doesn't say anything about being queer positive and as a tradition we have been very queer positive for a very long time and there's like a lot of right evidence of that there are also ways that we've not been right um and so i think that's um that's important to hold and it's also part of the work of being a religious person is trying to make sense of what the core of your tradition means for how you live your life yeah um Because to me, like an ethic of love is about universalism. And that inherently has a lot of implications. Um, So like to me, that means you have to be queer positive. Um, Because if if the starting place is that everyone is inherently worthy of love and no one is damned, then nothing about them can make their worth less than anybody else's, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then any, any sort of conditional worth, um, is inherently out the window. Um, yeah. and then like, that's where then we have to be really specific about like, so then this means this. And if one of, one of the new recommended, um, core principles is justice. Um, so then like, if you put love and justice together, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's true. It's like, tough. this isn't, obviously, like, these principles are not the only way we communicate yeah. or agree on what we, right? like, what UUism is, what we believe, right. what we affirm, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think, like, that same call for specificity about race is what led to mm-hmm. the eighth principle yep. like movement. Yep. Um, and I, yeah, I'm curious if any of the people who authored the eighth amendment, which is about specifically like, um, I guess I can pull up the language of it. It's about basically like yeah. racial justice work. And yeah. being accountable. Yeah. Um, so I think part of, what's important to think about when we're looking at the eighth principle and why there's not a similarly like rainbow principle um, is kind of our track record of, of what we've 
done well and where we've fallen really short. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a big move. um, I don't remember exactly when it started, um, but I want to say it was a thing that started in the 90s um, where congregations were, there was a process to become certified as a welcoming congregation and welcoming. And there's like a logo that you can put on your doors and like on your website, but it's a process that was to get certified through the UUA as being essentially queer welcoming and queer positive. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was a thing that lots of congregations did in the same way that there's like a, you can be certified as a green sanctuary that's about, right, like your carbon footprint and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think the eighth principle is pointing to the fact that our tradition is steeped in whiteness um, and has not always, it, we have not always been on the right side of history, right, on that front. Um, and certainly as a tradition, it, we are not exclusively white. Um, because I think when we're talking about this, there's also the danger of saying like, oh, all you use are white, in which case you then actually erase a whole lot of people. Um, but as a tradition and as a culture, white supremacy is pretty normal. I mean, yes, in the world, but then also within our tradition. Um, and so I think the eighth principle was important because it was calling that out, um, in a way that... We had we have a better track record, honestly, when it comes to being queer inclusive, mm-hmm. um, than when it comes to being, um, like dismantling of white supremacy. So. Yeah, the the text of it is uh, journeying towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community. By our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and our institutions. Yeah. Um, so f- do you know if any of the authors and like leaders of the eighth principle like uh, initiative yeah. were part um, of this rewrite? So I don't know exactly who. So there's something called the Article 2 Study Commission. Um, I don't know exactly who's on the commission, um, but that was a group of people that was appointed by the UUA to start working on um, this redraft and this rewrite. And um, I mean, my understanding from talking to people who've been part of the process um, and people on the UUA board is that the ethos of the eighth principle, instead of being this like add-on, became like a fundamental core of clearly there's a problem if there's this movement to add the eighth principle. So how do we rethink our whole to make sure that that doesn't get missed? Mm -hmm. Um, So as far as I know, the people who are in support of the eighth principle are not the people that are upset about this. The people who are the most upset about these changes, um, are so we have um i'm not going to go into the whole like sorted history of this but there's a there's a very small and very loud population of you you use um who have a couple different like names that they use to refer to themselves but basically there's sort of the same dynamic that's happening in our country um where there's this kind of like extreme right thing that's going on um where people don't want to be accountable for their impact. They're using freedom as like a cover for any and everything. Um, And are really fixated on their individual rights and power and don't really care how that affects other people. Um, So that thing is also a movement that exists within our denomination. Um, And that group of people is the group of people who are really upset about this. Um, and because part of what's been happening is, I think we talked about this a couple of years ago, where like our, so as ministers, um, we're held to a really strict standard of ethics in order to be allowed to be ministers, right? Which is good. Um, and a couple of years ago, there was this big rewrite of our ethics guidelines 
um, because it was clear that there were some holes where people were doing things that weren't technically ethics violations and so they couldn't be held accountable for their actions, but they were sort of serially engaging in behaviors that were detrimental. Um, And so the biggest the biggest and most noteworthy change to those guidelines was about bullying. Um, and there are really, there are very specific descriptions of what bullying means in our ethics guidelines as ministers. Um, and so since that change, um, there have been several ministers who have been defellowshipped, which essentially means they've like lost their license to practice as UU ministers. Um, and this group of people, um, this like small but loud population, thinks that that being held accountable um, is like an infringement on those ministers' freedom, kind of, mm-hmm. um, and is really upset about it. Um, so... And, and similarly, there was, like, pushback against this idea that love is our core because, really, they wanted freedom to be our core. But when freedom mm-hmm. really means, like, individualism, right? Um, so that's a thing. Um, and like I said, it's a very, very, very small population of UUs. Um, but they are very loud, even to the extent that, like, um, two weeks ago... Our administrator forward, forwarded me an email she'd gotten from one of these people um, who was sending out a flyer that they wanted, like, UU congregations to advertise. And they, they go so far as to email each congregation individually, um, which is, like, wild to me that they're that organized. Yeah, but I what they were inviting that's... us to was a day-long workshop that was essentially... It was it was like seemed like it was talking about anti-racism, but really it was talking about the problems with anti-racism work. Like it, it's veering Yikes. really close to like white lives matter stuff. Um, but there's yeah, but they're sneaky about it. Right. Because it it sort of looks official and they have these really misleading names that like they're all about. um like it yeah i don't even want to like repeat some of it but yeah yeah. so there's there's this thing that's happening right and it's all under the guise of freedom um it's the same kind of stuff you see in our country at large it's like two percent of you use if even right it's like a really really small population um but they're angry and determined and they take up a lot of space um so it, this to me is sort of like there was one general assembly when we got boycotted by Westboro Baptist and I felt really good about myself uh-huh. <laughs> that, I, that I was at a conference that was being protested by Westboro Baptist. Um, yeah, that's... So I have kind of a similar reaction to this whole dynamic where like there are some people who are really upset and angry about these proposed changes. But they're the and right they're people. The people they're the right people to have angry, right? Yeah. Yeah. You like, want something. I, I feel good about that. Like You want something so powerful to me, enough to threaten that. Yeah. Right, right. Because to me, the change to the principles, principles is really about being clearer about who we are and what our boundaries are. Mm-hmm. Um, because this like this set of principles belongs together versus, I think, in the, the sort of old model because some of them were really are fairly redundant, and then some of them, um, there's sort of this cherry picking factor where, like we were talking about, where a lot of people are first and seventh principles principle you use, uh-huh. um, but then some people are. I think the fifth principle is about democracy. Some people are fifth principle you use, where all they want is democracy, which really means they want to make sure their voice individually has power. Which is very much at odds, right, with huh. with saying that everyone has inherent worth and we believe that how we treat each other matters and we're all deeply connected. That's very different than if you hold me accountable for my actions, you're limiting my freedom. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. 
like cringy, deeply cringy. Yeah. So that's where I feel pretty good about these amendments because of who's really mad about it. Yeah. Because I think that shows what the problem has been, which is why we needed to make an update. And that, I mean, that makes sense. Like I, (laughs) the other way I was like recently looking at in a completely different context, I was looking at like Mm -hmm. alternative investing. um, Yeah. And I was looking at this one, like, seemingly kind of like radical alternative investing platform. And I was like, mm-hmm. cool. And then I would scroll down and like their number one financial partner is Bank of America. And I was mm-hmm. like, well. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah. And like, I still have p- people I'm in community with and organizing feel differently about yeah. this particular thing than I do. But it's like. Yeah. If if Bank of America doesn't feel at least a little bit threatened by this as like yeah. moving towards a future that threatens their power in the financial space, yeah, then it's probably not something that's right. like right in perfect alignment with my economic values. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I I want to be building up things that Bank of America is like suing to shut down. Right. Um, right. So yeah, you're like right. It's the it's the pushing against the monopoly problem, right? Yeah, I want. I don't want them as an ally. I want them as an enemy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like I do not want Westboro Baptist to be proud no. of me. No. That is no, like no. really not on my list of goals. Precisely. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> right. And so that's similarly kind of how I having seen a lot of this process unfold um, and having, you know, like texting with minister friends who are at these forums with, you know, the other people who are there because they're mad about this whole thing. Um, Well, frankly, if you give me back my inherent worth and dignity, (laughs) you'd be all good. Like language, like I'll drop it. (laughs) I want to, is there, an, I, I'm like kind of shocked that it's, it didn't, they didn't like drop that somehow Yeah. in there. I'm reading it again to see. Hey, okay. Wait, wait. Equity. We declare that every person has the right to flourish with dignity and worthiness. Yeah. That's not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so mad. <laughs> I can't help it. Yes, they can. I can't help it. I mean, I feel you. I feel you. I mean, if I were voting like an up-down... is a nice word. It is. Well, and I agree with all these things. I know. (laughs) They're just incomplete from my perspective. Yeah, Yeah, I would be very unsurprised if that's the amendment that gets made at GA. Yeah. I, I am sure you're not the only person who feels this way. I mean, if you ask me right now, up and down, like the old one or the new one, no, no changes allowed. I would pick the new one. Yeah, because it's yeah. better and it makes more sense. Yeah, but I'm just well. We need we will need some people to be delegates at GA because we all get to vote on this. So, isn't GA kind of close to me this year? Oh, it's in Pittsburgh. You should go. This is a hilarious thing to have as part of our podcast. I know. I mean, I I. Pittsburgh is not actually very close to Philly at all. It's like... It's closer than Seattle. That's true, but it's still like four-hour drive away. Perspective. Um, but yeah, I might go to that, potentially. Yeah. If I, Our youth group might go. If, oh, really? Yeah. They're, they're working cool. on it. I, I think I've successfully convinced them. That's nice. Yeah. I like that. A little field trip. I know. So what else should we talk about? Uh, Do you want to talk about the next sermon? Yeah. Ultimacy. Faith that guides us. This was the MLK Day sermon. um, And it was talking about love as a thing of ultimacy. um, Meaning meaning ultimate power. Yes. So at the end of the day, love gets the last word. And it's more powerful than anything else. Um, so choosing to live as though that's true. Um, yeah. 
And so <laughs> that that's what that one was about. <laughs> I know. It's sort of like, mm-hmm, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, I, I was kind of trying to give people to also kind of digest what had happened the Sunday before. Uh-huh. It's like, let's let's talk about this love thing a little mm-hmm. bit more. Right. Um yeah, and the importance, like, why why faith can be really important. And faith is a word that we, you use, can get kind of freaked out by because we think it's prescriptive. Um, but to your point about wanting those, the core principles to be more theological, that was where I was kind of trying to, to lean into, like, if we are claiming a theology of love, um, we are choosing a side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. It, I mean, it is, it's coming back to, like, the way truth can get in our way. Like, the concept of truth can be unhelpful. Because if you sit down and say, well, it's not true that love is more powerful than all of these other, you know what I mean? Like, right. That's not really That's a totally- the point. <laughs> well, and, like- and right. And which is why I was trying to talk about like, this is why th- this is a thing of faith, right? Uh-huh. Because there are different value systems that you can live inside of, right? You could, you could say that your North Star is desolation, right? Destruction. You could say that destruction is the most powerful force in the universe and align your life accordingly. Yeah. The question is like, what will that result in? And right. do you want to make that choice? Yeah. But I think people maybe don't feel their agency in making that choice. Because, I mean, thinking of something as objectively true or not in this realm. Yeah. Takes away the agency of like, well, I don't get to decide, you know, how to live my life because I'm beholden yeah. to some like objective I think it also truth. takes away the responsibility yeah yeah that's true it's easier right it's easier to throw up your hands and say nothing matters yeah like i personally think it could be true in a way that like the word again we've talked about this a lot yeah like yeah what is truth like Fake it's news. not true or false that life has no meaning. <laughs> like that's not a true or false. Right. right. <laughs> like, yes, exactly. Right. Statement. Right. It's also not really provable. It's sort of yeah. this, like how do you experience meaning in the world? Right. And in your living. Yeah, it's more like an experiential and orienting statement than it is a like, well, this is how the world is and so I'm adapting to it. Yeah. So, I like that. I like it as well. But I think that's important because I think that you can, if you don't think about that, I think this is where people can, can like existential despair can come for you, Mm -hmm. right? If you haven't made this kind of connection of, of like, where are you rooting your spirit? Yeah. Um, And what are you committing to that is unmovable for you? Yeah. Yeah. because despair is coercive, right? Empire is coercive. So let's move into talking about the last sermon of this month. And mm-hmm. um, I want to give kind of a content warning. Um, yeah. This one is about like medical fat phobia, especially and fat phobia in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as a like terminology note, like I... Yeah use the term fat and fatness as like neutral descriptors as does the like um like fat liberation movement like uses the word fat as just a neutral descriptor Mm -hmm. um and so i think that's how we're going to use it in this conversation um anything else we should give a heads up on before we get into this talking about like health stuff yeah I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. But I, I like, right. not for you, Laurel, for our listeners. Yeah, no, I, well, but, but, but that's part of it, right? Because that was part of this, like, 
So if you haven't listened to the podcast, basically I have an autoimmune disease um, and my doctors didn't believe me because the first symptom was weight gain. Um, and it got really, the degree to which they did not believe me got really dangerous. Um, and so, um, and this was also the first time I openly acknowledged this or stated this to the congregation. Um, I had told, I was diagnosed in September, um, and I told the board, um, and I told the staff, um, because I wanted them to sort of have some sense of what was going on and kind of be prepared. Um, but this was the, it was, it was held in confidentiality because there was so much like when, as people know, when you're going through a medical diagnosis, there's so much unknown. Mm -hmm. Um, and as a minister, I'm really conscious that I do not want the congregation thinking they need to take care of me or be to feel worried about me. Um, and so I was not planning on disclosing this, um, but part of the reality of autoimmune disease is that it does significantly impact how you live your life. Um, and it was starting to get hard to cover up. Um, and I was really, I was planning on doing this service as my sort of like, Diets are bad. Love your body sermon. Uh (laughs) Um, And I was also really conscious that as part of having an autoimmune disease, I'm on this thing that's called the autoimmune protocol, um, which, like I said in the sermon, is sort of like this really long winded like allergy test kind of where you cut out everything that can like set off your immune system. But the problem is if you actually like if you were to sit down and eat with me, you'd probably think I was on a diet, like a weight mm-hmm. loss diet. Right. Yeah. Um, and I was really conscious of like what I do is more important than what I say. Um, and so preaching about like how bodies are good and food is good and we don't need to limit ourselves and like you know, there's a lot of science behind how diets are just really bad for you um, and don't work. Um, but to do that while simultaneously, like, not being able to share food with other people because my own personal, like, food cornucopia is so limited yeah, just felt like a really dicey situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, part of the reality of getting treatment is that it seems to be reversing the weight gain that I had as part of being sick. And so I was also like, I do not want people thinking that like, because as a minister, your actions can be read as moral judgments. And I was like, this is going to read as hypocrisy if you don't actually know what's going on. Yeah. Um, And the other thing that's really limiting is that, so I have Graves' disease, which basically makes your your thyroid makes your whole internal body speed go too fast. Um, and so it means that I cannot exercise. That is a thing that would be truly dangerous to me right now. Um, but so like we had a dance party in the fall as an event. And I was like, this is really awkward because I really cannot go to a dance party. But I yeah. also really don't want to explain why. Right. Mm-hmm. Um And it felt like it was starting to get noticeable in a way that sort of, I I just, I didn't want people to misinterpret it, right? Yeah. Um, And I also think it's, when people are ready to share things like this, um, I think it can be really liberating for other people. um, Because I do not look like a person who's sick, right? Like, (laughs) people don't look at me and think like, oh, she's one of those immunocompromised people who can't get a COVID booster, right? But I am. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, and so my hope was it was sort of stigma breaking um, and making space for the fullness of how people exist in their bodies. And that like navigating that was super complicated uh-huh. <laughs> because there's the like, <laughs> How do you share enough for it to make sense what you're even talking about, right? And then how do you not, like, overshare, which thankfully, you thankfully cautioned me when I was writing this, which I was like, okay, great, helpful. Because when you when you have, like, an illness, in my experience, there's the, like, 
there's a sort of path of secrecy where you just like say nothing about how you're sick and that becomes well practiced. And then there's the like barfing your medical history Mm -hmm. (laughs) to convince medical (laughs) providers that you are sick. And so then figuring out like, so what do I say to the congregation was like, uh, (laughs) yeah, let me trudge a path through the snow that has not yet been charted. (laughs) Yeah. That's Um, tricky. Right. So, I hope it I hope it helped. Um, it seemed like it did. Um, and I also tried to be really clear that it is not the congregation's job to take care of me. Yeah. Um, so yeah. What kind hopefully of stuff? I, hopefully I got I th- hopefully I threaded that needle yeah. successfully. But it was these things are hard to talk about. Definitely. Um just like in generalities, like what kind of stuff mm-hmm. did you cut that you were originally going to talk about in more detail? Um, the like describing what actually happened. Uh-huh. Um, so when I cut everything that I cut was narrative descriptive content. Yeah. Um, and which was this like really complicated sort of mental exercise of how do I convey what I'm trying to convey without having you experience what I experienced or Uh even imagine experiencing what I experienced? Um, Which is hard because storytelling can be a really powerful tool. Yeah. And so help like drawing people into an experience can be really potent. But the question is, when is it too potent? And that was where I was like, how do I where how do I accurately convey this thing and like the seriousness of what I'm talking about without making people feel undue emotional strain yeah so because people it was, will, that was a tough one yeah that's that's very hard and I know that has come up a lot yeah in the past with like you know the freedom of the pulpit being something that you have to be trained to wield responsibly. Yeah, totally. Um, Totally. Yeah. And that like that particular story is a description of like a form of violence. And so um, like you've been pretty clear in the past that like, you know, graphic descriptions of violence or images of violence, like that's not something that is an appropriate um, right like part of anything that comes from the pulpit. (laughs) Right. Um, And I think even you saying that, because this is a thing that's so dismissed culturally that people treat it as if it's not violence. And so it was helpful for you to say that to me because it was sort of the reminder of like, you don't have to over convey this truth. Yeah. um, Because, which is part of what I was talking about, about why it's so hard, right? Because I was, like, totally medically gaslit, where it was like, you're just yeah. hysterical, you're not sick, right? So then it's hard to, when when you've been told repeatedly by people in power that they are, essentially, that nothing's wrong with you, and, it, and they're being helpful, it's like mm-hmm. a mindfuck. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear in our podcast, right? But it's this, like... <laughs> Right, no, right, that that is violent. And so I really don't want to help like share that experience. Right. It was it was I I think this is one of the this was one of the hardest sermons that I've written. Mm-hmm. Um because I also part of what you and I talked about was the what I've talked about in the past of preaching from your scars and not your wounds. Yeah. Um And this is one of those really odd circumstances where part of what I was doing in the service was disclosing something that is currently happening. Um, So occasionally the sort of scars, not wounds has to go out the window, right? Yeah. Um, Because you need to talk about something that's actively happening, but then it becomes significantly more difficult to figure out how to talk about it. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, the feedback that I got was positive. Um, so hopefully I managed to, you know, walk that narrow path. But yeah, it, this is not an easy thing to figure out how to do. No. Uh, I, which is part of the challenge yeah. of being a sick person in the world, right? Is like 
what do you say and to who and will they believe you and how much do you need to convince them and you know what is helpful disclosure and what is a violation of privacy there are not simple answers to those questions yeah like having to move through the world in like a defensive posture around like yeah this is what's actually real for me <laughs> like right, right. you believe me this i need truth. to convince yeah. you to believe me right like that's exhausting it is exhausting yeah. and it's hard to know when you're yelling too loud <laughs> right like well that calibration is different in every context so right right, <laughs> like, right which is where specifically the dynamic of like minister and congregation is like this is a very nuanced particular yeah. place yeah. So how do I talk about this thing in this, in a way that honors the relationship that we are in, in which it is still my job to take care of the congregation and not vice versa. Right. Um, so, yeah. So here think, we are. <laughs> yeah. Do you think people, it would be helpful to lay out like specifically what kind of care a friend might give that you would find it inappropriate for someone in the church to give you like, Oh, that's a really good question. Yeah. Um, because people, I started talking about this a lot when I first came to this church, that being a minister means you're not someone's friend. Yeah. And I think it was like kind of upsetting to some people at first until they got what I meant. Yeah. Um, because friendship by definition is, a one-to-one personal intimate relationship um, that's based on mutuality, right? You mm-hmm. you have both voluntarily chosen to be close to each other in a way that's mutually caring. Ministry is sort of the opposite of that um, because it's a one-to-many relationship mm-hmm. um, and the care only goes in one direction, right? Um, so when I'm sharing things about myself with a congregation, it is for the good of the congregation, right? It is not to make me feel better. Um, so, like, with my friends talking about all of this medical stuff, that's where there's this, like, ongoing venting. Um, and it, it's sort of the uncut story in real time. Yeah. That, it, that I'm sharing for the sake of me feeling cared for by them, right? Yeah. Um, and for them knowing me personally, right? There's this sort of like one-to-one intimacy where we're both caring for each other. Um, when I share things with the congregation, it is to try and illuminate something for them, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not an invitation to like, you know you can't show up at my house with soup. That would be right. really, really weird, right? Yeah. Um, whereas if a friend did that, that would be really normal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because the care is not supposed to be one-to-one um, in that way. And it's yeah. not supposed to flow backwards. Like, the congregation is my employer, right? And so, the congr- like, in that way, they're sort of, like, I can meet my needs because I'm paid to do my job. Um, But that's still like, that's a relationship with an institution that is not like, you know, you as an individual person are receiving my uncut story that I'm sharing for my own emotional benefit. It's a very different dynamic. Does that sort of help explain? Yeah. I mean, I think it does because the specifics I think are are not obvious necessarily um, Mm -hmm. from saying like the care goes one way because like, you know, we make small talk with you. (laughs) You Yeah. And we ask about your life. Right. 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 I mean like emotional labor. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, it's not right. The, which I think is why ministry having a minister can be such a powerful thing. Yeah. Um, which is why I also think it's, it's a disservice to people when you try to be their friend instead of their minister, because you've sort of given up your post. Right. Yeah. And friends are a lot easier to come by in life than <laughs> ministers that you actually trust. Right. Yeah. Um, 
And I think it's, it's a very dangerous and slippery slope when we forget that. Um, because yeah. we also, as ministers, don't lose our symbol- symbolic power when mm-hmm. we forget our role. Right. Um, and that can be very dangerous and very harmful. Yeah. Because there's I, a power differential, right? Right. I think, like, even with that background. Yeah. Like, the idea that we're not allowed to show up at your door with soup. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know if that follows in a way that is, like, super clear and explicit. Like, yeah. Well, I also want to say there there would be a difference between, like, the congregation decide, like, your minister's sick and... This is, again, with the sharing thing. Sometimes this boundary changes. If there is a situation of crisis, this boundary can change. But then Mm -hmm. it will re-correct. Yeah. Um, Because, like, I've heard stories of, you know, ministers who move to a new place for a new job and don't know anyone. And then something really, really bad happens to them. Like, they have some kind of family medical crisis. And they kind of don't have a choice but to let the congregation take care of them. Because otherwise... Like, because ministry, honestly, is a really lonely profession, right? Like, we're in this weird role where we're the only person in our role in an institution, often. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in really big churches, you'll have, like, two ministers, right? Um, But so we don't have peers, and we're in relationship with a lot of people. Yeah. um, But the relationship is one way, right? Um, And... So yes, there are there are moments when this has to change, right? Um, but like on balance, um, it like it would be inappropriate if people just voluntarily, spontaneously showed up at my house. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That like that that would be different than like you know if. I mean, I'm not going to be in the hospital, but, like, if I was in the hospital and then, like, congregants came and took care of my dog because there was nobody else who could, that's uh. kind of a different, right? Like, that's a different set of circumstances, right? Yeah. Um. So, but what we're pointing to is all of this is complicated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's really clear and sometimes we have to think really hard about... Um, where the lines are. And yeah. and then when we inevitably mess it up um, to correct it, like I, if you had not cautioned me, I think I was too caught in the like, either I'm keeping the secret or I'm like telling the whole story of what happened. Um, and it's like kind of embarrassing to me that I almost did that. But like, of course I'm human. And sometimes it's hard to parse out. Um, yeah. Like what the right thing is. Um, and so I think part of, part of being a covenantal tradition is how you, how you fix it when you mess up. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure people will, well, I would hope people would be comfortable enough asking what the boundaries are, um, if they don't know, but I assume that's what you want. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like if anyone's unclear about an appropriate way to talk to you about yeah like your ongoing like medical stuff yeah like (laughs) well and this is where like you can trust me to know what my own boundaries are yeah yeah like even if you ask me for information that I still can be someone who says like I'm not going to tell you that right (laughs) right (laughs) too much right or like you know um I don't know. I think I think the thing that's important um, is to remember that people with chronic illnesses are not doing it to be an inconvenience. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> but but that bears saying, right, because mm. like our limitations can be a nuisance to other people. Mm. Um, but 
making fun of that or complaining about that or feeling annoyed by someone else's physical limitations, that is not okay, right? Right. That is crossing a line. Um, So, and like, unfortunately, that does need to be said, right? Um, Because like, if you looked at me, you would not know that I really cannot dance at the dance party. Like, that's a really bad idea, right? Yeah. Um, but that's not a funny, like, that's not a funny problem. That's Mm -hmm. like an, I'm trying to be safe in my body problem. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's part of where disclosing feels vulnerable. Um, which I think is, is part of the impulse to try and convince people that it's, that it's serious. Um, Mm. so it's a really weird, it's a really weird dynamic to navigate, especially yeah. as a public figure, right? For sure. So here we are trying. <laughs> yes, we're trying. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I mean, the the sermon was obviously about... Like, this is about both fat phobia and chronic, chronic illness. Yeah, um, right. I think, like, there's room in the future to talk a lot more about, like, fat phobia. Totally. But yeah, I don't, I don't think that we necessarily have, you know, have to go into that today. Yeah. Um, as, yeah, like, a wider consideration. Of, right. That was part of... Um, it that was more the plan originally with this service before it became clear to me that like I needed to be clear about what was going on because mm-hmm. it was starting to turn into this weird secret and secrets can be really damaging to congregations. Yeah. Um, but originally I was planning on doing this service with two of our members who are on the worship team are both, um, registered dietitians and nutritionists. And so we were sort of collectively in this like, how do we talk about like nourishing our bodies and inhabiting bodies in ways that sort of push against these ideas that um, like fatness is bad and to be smaller is better. Um, so it's, it's still sort of on the docket for maybe doing a second service um, in the next couple of years, not years, next couple of months in the spring or next year, uh-huh. because it, that, w- that was the original goal. Um, but then this sort of, this needed to happen. Um, yeah. So yeah, to be continued, right? This is not the whole conversation. Yep. Um, so. I, yeah. And in the future, I will have thoughts about it. Do you think we have podcasted sufficiently? I think, <laughs> I think we've podcasted like into the ground and back again. Like I think well, we're done. We've had thoughts. We've recorded them. <laughs> the end. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. <laughs> Until next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>